Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's a beautiful day here in Portland, and there is so much going on that we're going to be getting to as we continue through the program. I want to get into this whole issue of how is the right-wing takeover of the Republican Party? And Kevin McCarthy came right out and said this, and he said, the Republican Party is now the party of Trump. So here you've got a guy who is probably the stupidest man who has ever been in the White House. And I don't say that as a slur. I mean that as a genuine statement of fact. The least intelligent, least curious, least competent, most, well, not most bigoted. We've had some real bigots as presidents. But, you know, just the dumbest guy to ever be president of the United States. I mean, he thought when Lindsey Graham said aim high that he meant criticize a senator instead of a member of the House. This is what he said. I mean, he doesn't understand basic stuff. This is why most of his businesses have failed. The vast majority of the businesses that Donald Trump has started have failed, including a casino. How do you lose money on a casino? So it's not just the right-wing takeover. It's not just the Koch brothers' takeover of the Republican Party. That started with the Tea Party back, you know, two decades ago. But now it is the Trump takeover. And how has that changed America? And I'm telling you, it actually has. I'm looking at a bunch of things here. I'm looking at David Horowitz last night on Tucker Carlson's show saying, and I quote, I'm thinking of this ignorant attack by Colin Kaepernick and Nike on the Betsy Ross flag, which really goes with the creation of America. The creation of America was probably the greatest gift given to black people in 3,000 years. Fox News last night. Seriously, the creation of America was probably the greatest gift given to black people in 3,000 years. He says, because slavery was considered a normal institution for all those years. Well, not so much, particularly in the countries where the slaves are taken from. Anyhow, he continues, unfortunately, the people who hate America on the left, and this embraces so much of the Democratic Party these days, have conducted a 50, 60-year attack on Christianity in this country. Right. Those Democrats who think that we should, you know, take in the homeless and feed the hungry and provide housing to the homeless and provide medical care to heal the sick. 
and visit the prisoner, or at least treat him or her well. Those Democrats are trashing Christianity, right? David Horowitz continues, they've conducted a 50 to 60 year attack on Christianity in this country. They've driven prayer and religion out of the schools. So this is what your crazy uncle or, you know, sadly your grandma is watching on TV. This kind of rhetoric, which is why he or she is starting to sound crazy. This, by the way, is what Donald Trump is watching on TV, which is why he is becoming crazy. Trump is turning into Jensenko's father. She made this movie, you know, The Brainwashing of My Dad, about how her dad was like this great, normal guy. He started watching Fox News. He turned into this bitter, angry man. He started turning this vitriol and hate on everybody in his family. They finally contacted the cable company and took Fox off the TV and said, oh, gee, it's broken. And he had to watch actual news. And suddenly he turned back into a decent human being again. Anyhow, David Horowitz goes on on Fox News to say that the Democrat Party, the Democratic Party, they want to do away with the Senate. No, 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 no. It's the Republicans who are proposing repealing, what is the amendment, the 17th Amendment, 15th, whatever it is, the amendment that created direct election of the Senate. He says they want to do away with the Senate. Oh, my God. And they don't understand where our freedoms come from or what their nature is. Right, what he's saying is that our freedoms come from Jesus. And, you know, therefore, or at least the Christian and Jewish God, and which would include the Muslim God, although he was probably not going to acknowledge that. So you've got that. You've got, I mean, you know, what is it that the right wing takeover of America has wrought, right? You got Mike Pompeo. He's creating this new, quote, Civil Rights Commission. What could possibly go wrong? Right. When Mike Pompeo, a Tea Party Republican from the House of Representatives, becomes our secretary of state and creates his own Civil Rights Commission. It's called the Commission on Unalienable Rights. Well, what are unalienable rights? Those that he says are rooted in natural law and natural rights. He says, we're going to, this commission will ground our discussion of human rights in America's founding principles. Let's see, America's founding principles. Women can't vote or own property. They are the property of, of their husbands. People of color are not even humans. They are the property of their owners. Is that what he's talking about? Generally speaking, when you hear conservatives talking about natural law and natural rights, this is code words for basically hating gay people, hating LGBT people, and anti-women's rights agendas. This is what Pompeo is up to. The National Labor Relations Board, this, you know, Alex Acosta just left the Labor Department. He was our Secretary of Labor, but this was what he was doing when he left. The NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board, which is supposed to be there to protect labor. This was an agency that was created in the 30s by Franklin Roosevelt to represent the interests of labor. Reagan turned it into an agency that was designed to destroy labor unions. And every Republican president has done the same since then. So they are now streamlining this process for employers. If you're an employer and you have a union, right now under the law, this is going to change like next week. But right now under the law, if you want to get rid of your union, somebody in the union has to call for decertifying the union. There has to be a petition of some sort presented to decertify the union. Then the NLRB supervises a vote that's held, but it has to come from the workers. I actually went through this when I was at Clear Channel. We were members of SAG-AFTRA, and uh, you know we were all covered by the union. They took union dues out of my paycheck, and 
Clear Channel decided, hey, enough of this. Well, actually not Clear Channel. Some of the right-wing hosts on some of the stations that Clear Channel owned in that pod. And uh, they held a vote and they, they decertified the union. That was it. It was gone. So anyhow, now what this is saying is that now if an employer thinks, thinks that the majority of people in the union no longer want it, the employer itself can do what's called an anticipatory withdrawal. Now, right now, if, if an employer says, sorry, your union doesn't represent you anymore, that's against the law. But now they can say this, and the onus is on the union to prove that they actually have majority status. They would have 45 days to file for a new election. And meanwhile, the employer brings in this billion-dollar industry of union busting. They, they bring in all these consultants to, to give speeches. So here we have now a guy in the White House. But it's not just the guy in the White House. It's the entire Republican Party now. And Kevin McCarthy, the number one Republican in the House of Representatives, just came right out and said it. We are the party of Trump. We're the party of racist, misogynist, you know, private parts grabbing, women raping, child in jail, in cages. That's us, according to Kevin McCarthy. That's the Republican Party. A party that says that, now a party, not just a president, a party that says that the press, enshrined by the founders in the First Amendment, the press is the enemy of the people. A party that says that our allies, our European allies, the countries that, that we have gone to war with, the countries that out of which we came and to which you know, we brought change. I mean, we inspired the French Revolution, right? We inspired democracy all across Europe. That those countries are no longer our allies. Instead, that, that our allies are countries where there are Trump Towers, like the Philippines, or Turkey, or a proposed Trump Tower, like Russia, or, you know, Trump Towers in Abu Dhabi, or the United Arab Emirates, or one coming for Saudi Arabia, or, uh, you know, the, the Trump Tower that was announced a couple of years ago in Israel. I'm not sure if it's been built. This is a party that attacks federal law enforcement and our intelligence community. It's now a party that does this, not just a crazy man in charge of it. It's a party that looks the other way when 2,000 people in Puerto Rico die because FEMA doesn't respond the way that they would respond if it was, you know, a state that was majority white here in the United States. It's a party that thinks that the U.S. government is basically a deep state criminal conspiracy. It's using American political systems to attack essentially the weak this is what we have now. Where does this take us? How has the right-wing takeover of the media, right-wing hate radio on literally available in every city in America, right-wing videos being promoted by the uh, YouTube algorithm, right-wing sites still being spidered by Google, whereas left-wing sites like Alternet and Raw Story, they're no longer even putting them in their index. How is that changing America? How has the right-wing takeover of the Republican Party changed America? I mean, what is the impact on our country and our young people of the President of the United States using racism to attack women of color and religion for partisan purposes to help his Republican Party? Whatever happened to E Pluribus Unum, out of many, one. This is the Tom Hartman Program. 
How do you see America changing as a consequence of this right-wing takeover? How's it happening in your life? Steve in Webster, Wisconsin. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind today? Yeah, hi, Tom. I can't believe how one man can change the whole direction of this country. You know, I guess it's maybe we should change the way we set things up. Well, but here's the thing, Steve. It's not one man. Trump is not, he's bizarre. But the policies that he's promoting are policies that have been promoted by the Republican Party since Ronald Reagan and arguably since Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon came up with the Southern strategy. Let's use racism to promote the Republican Party. You know, Ronald Reagan came up with the policy of let's destroy uh, unions. And, and George Herbert Walker Bush came up with the policy, you know, running for re-election, the Willie Horton ads of let's not just racialize politics, but let's imply that Democrats are hateful of white people and want to turn black predators on us all. This is not unique to Donald Trump, Steve. Yeah. It's just hard to believe, hard to, hard to watch it. So what kind yeah, of damage right. are you seeing? They've been, they've been trying to do this little by little, but now they got their main man in there. Yeah, I think that what we're seeing here is, what was the phrase from they thought they were free? You know, uh, it's, it's like corn growing. You know, uh, you don't notice it until one day it's over your head. And, mm -hmm. you know, and suddenly the corn is over our head and we're going, hey, wait a minute, what, what? Yeah. And the sad thing is that a lot of the people that still believe in them, they just don't understand or don't see what's really happening. Yeah. Yeah. Are you seeing this in your own life, in your family, in your work? Are, you know, are you seeing yeah, symptoms yeah, of work, this? What are those? work and little family, yeah. For example? Well, at work, if I'm watching RT on the news, somebody will come by and say, oh, how can you watch that stuff? All it is is fake news and lies. You mean free speech TV? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just, they seem like intelligent people, but it, it just... But if it's not Fox News, so brainwashed. they don't get it, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, thanks a lot, Steve. Thanks for Thank the call. You. Yep, good talking to you. Philip in Warner Robins, Georgia. Hey, Philip. Got a minute. What's up? Hey, just in regards to your question about what Trump's doing to this country, in simple terms, he's turning into a third world country. Environmental regulations are being rolled back. The wealth gap is increasing through his uh, tax cut. Corruption in government going rampant. He's turning this into a third world nation. Yeah, I think that that's an excellent point. And those are just a few of the bullet points. But yes. I was just going to say, I, I don't think America is going to wake up until it's too late. Well, what does too I late mean, look I'm like? I'm not trying to be offensive or anything, but I, I feel like the white America, white America doesn't get it because they're more focused on the economy right now. Right. But the rest of America, non-white America, gets it because we see where this country is going and what's happening right now because we're not, we don't get that privilege of just being able to focus on the economy. Right, and right. And, and, yeah, and, and people of color have, yeah, I mean, this... It's been it's been worse in the past in some ways, and so you know what what could happen. Philip, thank you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Hey, you know I've been on the road a lot the last couple of weeks, and and uh, sleeping in a whole lot of different beds, and I can tell you it makes a huge difference. Um, you know how well you sleep. 
And that's not even like the beginning of this whole science, and it really is a science, of sleep optimization. Uh, you know, while most of us are not getting the amount of sleep that we need, the tech founders and CEOs, they've figured out ways to optimize their sleep to perform at peak levels every day. And the first step, this brand new technology, this is just extraordinary. This, is, this bed is a technology. It's, from, it's called the Pod. It's from a company called Eight Sleep, E-I-G-H-T Sleep. And it is the ultimate sleep machine. The Pod is the first and only high-tech bed to help you achieve peak mind and body performance. Are you looking to sleep deeper? The Pod dynamically adjusts the temperature on each side of the bed so you're comfortable all night. You want to know your sleep intelligence, you know, the, the info, you, the pod tracks your biometrics while you sleep with no need for wearable technology. You want to sleep better? Enjoy personalized programs and coaching designed by experts guiding you toward true sleep fitness. Because the better you sleep, the better you everything. Try the pod for 100 nights, and if you don't love it, they'll refund your purchase and arrange a free pickup only at 8sleep.com slash Tom. That's E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash T-H-O-M. They already sold out the first couple batches, so they're going fast for a limited time. Get 150 bucks off your purchase when you go to 8sleep.com slash Tom. E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash T-H-O-M. 8sleep.com slash Tom. So uh, when Trump tells Rashida Tlaib to go back where she came from, her ancestors, not she, she was born in the United States. In fact, I think she was born in Detroit. But her ancestors came from Palestine. Is uh, Trump calling for a two-state solution? Somebody, quick, call Bibi Netanyahu and tell him Trump has turned his back on him. Or the right of return. I mean, that's, that would be even more extreme. It's amazing. A caller just a minute ago said Donald Trump is turning America into a third world nation. This is, you know, from his point of view, how, you know, how it's impacting us, uh, doing away with regulations. He's rolled back the clean, in, clean air thing that Obama did, the air emission regulations with regard to automobiles over the objection of the car manufacturers. The car manufacturers actually wanted these rules because they can make cars that are cleaner. And, you know, they want to move into the new technology. In Europe, I mean, you know, electric cars are exploding. In China, electric cars are exploding. China this year sold more electric cars than the entire rest of the world. You've got entire cities in China where you have to have electric cars, and this is happening. Now, Norway has said after 2024, you can't own an internal combustion engine. Electric cars are exploding. Not literally, but you, you get the sales of them are exploding. Again, this is not just Donald Trump. This is the thing we have to get. It's not just Donald Trump. This is the Republican Party. This started back in 1980 when David Koch ran for president on the libertarian ticket and said we need to end Social Security, we need to end Medicare. You'll recall Ronald Reagan campaigned against Medicare in 1965, made a 33 LP. My dad had one. You know, went out to people all over the country talking about how someday if we get Medicare, this is socialism and someday Americans will look back and remember what it was like when men were free. Right. The Republicans called Social Security socialism, and they've been calling for it to be privatized ever since. They call it a Ponzi scheme. They say it should be run by the banks out of New York. Right. Is this what America wants? Tearing up of international agreements and treaties? 
The British ambassador said that Donald Trump's tearing up the Iran deal was, quote, vandalism. And he said that the only reason Trump did this is because the, the agreement had been negotiated by Obama. And he's trying to erase any evidence that America's first black president was actually president. So that there will be no recollection of anything that Obama did in history as we go forward. This is a serious effort by the right. The rise of the Tea Party. Get your government hands off my Medicare, right? I mean, this bizarre stuff. This morning in New York, Daniel Patalino, the cop who killed Eric Garner, they decided not to press charges against him. Tomorrow would, would have been the fifth anniversary of his death. It also would have been the statute of limitations on prosecuting the cop. So anyhow, here's the resolution. This is going to be voted on today in the House of Representatives. Whereas the Declaration of Independence defined America as a covenant based on equality, the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and government by the consent of the people. And then she goes through two pages of quotes from people from Ben Franklin to Ronald Reagan about basically that stuff. Whereas President Donald Trump's racist comments have legitimized fear and hatred of new Americans and people of color. Therefore, be it resolved that the House of Representatives believes that immigrants and their descendants have made America stronger and that those who take the oath of citizenship are every bit as American as those whose families have lived in the United States for generations. That the House of Representatives strongly condemns President Donald Trump's racist comments that have legitimized and increased fear and hatred of new Americans and people of color by saying that our fellow Americans who are immigrants and those who may look to the president like immigrants should, quote, go back, end quote, to other countries by referring to immigrants and asylum seekers as, quote, invaders, end quote, and by saying that members of Congress who are immigrants or those of our colleagues who are wrongly assumed to be immigrants do not belong in Congress or in the United States of America. Hey, we've got a new video out for our uh, for our supporters. It's available over at TomHarbin.com. And I mean, yeah, you have Mike Pence coming out saying America will never be a socialist country. No, that's why we need to get rid of Social Security, right? That's why we need to get rid of Medicare. That's why we need to get rid of fire departments and police departments and public schools and all those other socialist programs. Well, actually, yeah, this is how Republicans think. Ronald Reagan, for example. Speaking against Medicare back in the day, the doctor begins to lose freedoms. First, you decide the doctor can have so many patients. They're equally divided among various doctors by the government. But then the doctors aren't equally divided geographically. So it, you know, it's just, it's just a, a nonsense argument. Anyhow, I've got this entire history of Republicans calling Democrats socialists from 1928 to today. Check it out at TomHartman.com. back. Let's check in. We talk media news and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by Goats for the Old Goat.com and Loving What You Do. Ellen Ratner's new book on the line with us is Doug Christian. Hey, Doug, what's going on hey. in the world today? Well, we have to talk about the squad. Of course, the contretemps originally began with the Democrats of two factions when Nancy Pelosi brought her caucus in and said, look, you progressives, you want to make a perfect pate. But I am in the business of legislating, and I know how to make an imperfect sausage. And she said, what you need to do is, if you have a, a problem, come to me 
don't tweet, don't make it public. Now, now these are these are her words, the pate and sausage thing? These are her words, okay. And my understanding was the thing that triggered this was that uh, AOC's chief of staff, this uh, 33-year-old guy, I'm, I'm forgetting his name, tweeted something trashing a Democratic member of the House of Representatives who was part of the Blue Dog Caucus, basically, you know, calling him a Republican in Democratic clothing. And that's what Pelosi was objecting to. And I actually understand that. Are you saying that this, there was some other origin to this? No, that's exactly right. And there was another part of this, too, and that is AOC's chief of staff. And perhaps AOC had been not only um, going after Blue Dog Democrats, but also members of the Congressional Black Caucus, and actually threatening to put resources into primary some of these people such as Lacey Clay from Missouri. Right, um, but Lacey Clay was a member of the either the New Dems or the Blue Dog. I mean, Lacey Clay was a conservative who was African-American, right? Yeah, that's why Conservative he's a Democrat. Of- so it wasn't that they were going after the, the Congressional Black Caucus, as you just said. It wasn't that at all. It was that they were going after individual members of the House of Representatives who were not even liberal Democrats, much less progressive Democrats. And Definitely. one of them happened to be black and a member of the Black Caucus. Right, that's true. That's let's, true. let's be clear about this. Yeah, no, I'm glad you, that you specified that. But the main thing is, is that these people were not progressives. And the thing that, one of the things that, uh, that Nancy Pelosi said is, look, our majority is dependent upon compromise. If we think we're going to be pure, we are not going to hold the majority in the House. And that was her argument. And these freshmen, the members of the squad, these freshmen women, have pushed back pretty hard. Yeah, to the extent that that they're not voting, you know, that they didn't vote for this compromise bill that gives Trump billions of dollars with no controls over, you know, how he uses the money. Okay, so what else is going on in the world, Doug? Of course, the president just went off on a long screed, perhaps you might call it, on almost Everything, including immigration, the detention centers for the kids, the economy. I personally think that he was born on third base and thought he hit a triple here with the economy. And But he's taking all the credit, saying it's the strongest ever, the best job numbers ever. He's also trashing the Fed, saying they don't know anything about running an economy, that if they ran it the way he said to run it, that we'd already have hit 30,000 in the Dow. He says that the... But we probably would have. Uh, on the other hand, we'd probably be heading for a 1929-style crash. Exactly. I mean, if you take too many stimulants in your body, eventually you'll crash. <laughs> and the Fed has always tried to mitigate that kind of curve where we would actually begin to go down so that we do not have inflation. And so they try to be very careful and conservative about this. Yeah, but Jay Powell now is afraid for his job, so he's doing what Trump says to do, or so it looks. What else is in the news? Well, he also spoke very highly of Xi Jinping, the... Um, yeah, the Chinese prime minister. Chinese or, minister, yeah. president for life. He said, here's a man, he gets what he wants. He said he's the Fed, he's the president, he's one man, and he does get things done the way that he should. So is Trump implicitly endorsing the Chinese system of government? Sounds like it. It wow. sure sounds like it. Which is communist government. I mean, has anybody told Donald Trump that? He's trashing AOC, calling her a communist. 
and he's praising an actual communist. The irony there is rich. Doug Christian with the Talk Media News. Thank you, Doug. Thank you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Tom Harvin here with you. We've been uh, talking about the rise of hard right propaganda and the possibility, Egberto Willie's talking over Daily Kos about the inevitable autocrat-driven civil war. I'm not talking about people shooting at each other, but basically tearing our country apart. It's being fueled and fanned by right-wing billionaires and the media that they own in the case of Fox News and Rupert Murdoch. Pretty scary stuff. And, and it raises, I think, a larger question which is, is America the first developed country to begin moving backwards? When we look at the history of the United States, the story we tell ourselves is that we were one of the first modern democratic republics. But the fact of the matter is that if we want to call ourselves democratic, in the small d, democratic, meaning you know, the will of the majority, that was certainly not the case at the founding of this republic. And if we wanted to call ourselves a republic, a, you know, a form of government that is led by the rule of law in which the people have a say in how things happen, we really weren't even a democratic republic at the founding of our republic. People of color could not vote or participate in the political process. Women could not vote or, or engage in the political process. Neither people of color nor women were allowed to own property, were allowed to sue, were allowed to participate in commerce. This was the case, by the way, for both of these groups all the way through the 18th century, all, you know, from 1787 until 1800, the entire 19th century from 1800 to 1900, frankly, the first 50 years or so of the 20th century. I mean, women got the, arguably, black men got the vote in the uh, late 1860s, uh, and I think it was 1868, the 13th Amendment, the 13th, 14th, 15th were ratified over, as I recall, a period of a couple of years during Reconstruction, but it really didn't stick, as it were. I mean, we all know about the failure of Reconstruction. Women didn't get the vote until 1920 with the 19th Amendment. So we've really only been a democratic republic for, let's say, since 1920. And even at that, you know, we still had separate but equal until 1954. And we still had redlining, uh, you know, I mean, institutionally, not in the way that you can point to and say, aha, that company just drew that map. But functionally, structurally, as a result of the way the economy has been put together uh, to this day. You're listening to Tom Hartman. You know, technology has brought us all kinds of cool stuff. Computers and wristwatches that are computers and phones that are computers. And, and uh, well, now there is a bed that basically has its own computer and it keeps track of what you're doing. But not only that, it actually regulates its own temperature and it does it differently for each side of the bed. So you and, and your partner will have the perfect sleep. I mean, this is amazing. Uh, it's called the Pod. And it's from a company called Eight Sleep, E-I-G-H-T Sleep. Uh, and it is the ultimate sleep machine. The pod is the first and only high-tech bed designed to help you achieve peak mind and body performance. Looking to sleep deeper? Pod dynamically adjusts the temperature on each side of the bed so you're comfortable all night. Want to know your sleep intel? Tra pod tracks your biometrics while you sleep. You don't have to wear anything. Want to sleep better? They have personalized programs and coaching designed by experts guiding you tr towards true sleep fitness. Because the better you sleep, the better you everything. Try the pod for 100 nights, 
And if you don't love it, they'll refund your purchase and arrange a free pickup only at 8sleep, E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. They already sold out the first two batches, so they're going fast for a limited time. Get 150 bucks off your purchase when you go to 8sleep.com slash Tom, E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash Tom. So within this larger arc, we started out with only white men voting and having power in the United States. And in many states, it was only white men who owned property. Then we went to white men more generally, including poor white men. Then we included people of color, and then we included women. And you could say at each step along the way, the United States became more democratic, small d democratic, which is a good thing. You know, I don't think anybody would disagree with that, that that's a good thing. And we made some really substantial gains in the 1940s, the 1950s, the 1960s, and the 1970s with the empowerment of the middle class, the empowerment of women, the women's rights movement, the gay rights movement, which has become the LGBT movement, uh, right across the board, LGBTQ movement. Step by step by step, we have been moving forward, and we've been moving forward really rather rapidly over that period from 1940, basically, or let's say 33, when Franklin Roosevelt became president, until 1980, when Reagan became president, or 81, when he was sworn in. And then we started going backwards. We had a third of America was unionized when Reagan came into office. Now it's 6% in the private economy. We're actually going backwards in terms of the rights of working people. We had media in this country when Reagan came into office that was, I, I'm lacking the word. I mean, you know, certainly our corporate media had a lot of problems and, and it was very, it, you know, it was running a kind of top-down way, but it was at least relatively broadly honest. Now we have openly dishonest media in the form of Fox so-called news and right-wing hate radio, which literally can be heard in every city, town, and even unincorporated rural area in the United States. The people behind this anti-democracy movement have spent a fortune building out, they call it conservative, I would call it a fascistic, or at least corporatistic media structure here. For example, Tucker Carlson did this segment about Ilhan Omar. Ilhan Omar, now first of all, you gotta get the story of this woman. She was born in Somalia where there was a civil war going on. She and her family fled Somalia in 1991 and they spent four years living in a refugee camp in Kenya. They left Kenya and arrived in the United States under a resettlement program that would have been in 94. This was during the Clinton administration and she became a citizen. And then she ran for Congress, this Somali refugee ran for Congress because she so loves this country, she so wants to participate in this country. She said, no lies by Tucker Carlson essentially, will stamp out my love for this country or my resolve to make our union more perfect. So what did Tucker Carlson say about her? He said that she is living proof that the way we practice immigration has become dangerous to this country. 
Omar left one of the world's poorest countries to come to America, the world's richest country, and all the bounty that implies, claiming that she has a lot to be grateful for. And then Tucker Carlson, honest to God, said this. Can you imagine a member of the media who still has a job today, looks into the camera and says to America, this black woman who came to the United States as a refugee and who loves this country and has been working to improve this country and worked her way all the way up to Congress, he said, but she isn't grateful, not at all. After everything America has done for Omar and her family, she hates this country more than ever. Now, that's the kind of language that led to the Rwandan genocide, the Tutsis or the Hutus, which one was the minority group, but they only were about 15% of the population, but the majority group was literally on talk radio saying, these people hate this country, they're cockroaches, go out and kill them. And they did. I mean, this is about as close to asking somebody to assassinate a city member of Congress as I've ever heard. He goes on to say, so be grateful for Ilhan Omar, as annoying as she is. She's a living fire alarm, a warning to the rest of us that we better change our immigration system immediately or else. So is the United States the first country to actually see democracy go backwards? You know, Vladimir Putin recently said, President Putin of, of Russia recently said that liberal democracy is now obsolete. And from the point of view of people like Tucker Carlson, I think this is their perspective. And not just in the United States, you know, the liberal democracy has been under attack basically since the beginning of the Reagan administration. So the question, is America the first country, the first developed country to actually move backwards? I mean, conservatives led the destruction of the U.S. labor market. Reagan and Clinton, and it wasn't just Clinton, I mean, this entire era from the 80s until just recently kicked off an era of massive deregulation, well, Trump is still doing it, massive deregulation led directly to the crash of 2008. Reagan, Bush, and Trump's massive tax cuts have thrown America massively into debt and wildly exacerbated the divide between rich and poor. Go back to Reagan's tax cuts. Those three tax cuts and those three Republican presidents account for virtually all of the national debt. The rest of it can be accounted for by George W. Bush's illegal wars. Now, we have moved toward a more economically equal society in some ways, but actually not since the 1980s. We're actually going backwards. And then we've got Trump's demagoguery over his wall and putting kids in cages, inflaming the white racists like Tucker Carlson and threatening to undo us, you know, this last century of forward progress, Brown v. Board and everything else. So the question was America the first country where liberal democracy began to backslide? How rapidly is this accelerating across the world? We're seeing right-wing parties now rising to power in those countries that have experienced neoliberal attacks, like Greece and Spain and others. Is this the end of liberal democracy for that matter? And I'm not talking about liberal like I'm a liberal. I'm talking about liberal democracy as in the idea. And of course, it was just an idea at the time. But the idea of, of the founders when this country was first put together, the improvements after the Civil War, the improvements after, you know, with, with the great society and Lyndon Johnson. Are we the first to go backwards? And how do we stop that slide? This is the Tom Hartman Program. Particularly when you've got these hateful billionaires like Rupert Murdoch owning Fox News and pushing this kind of stuff through people like Tucker Carlson. Estelle in Astoria, Oregon. Hey, Estelle, what's on your mind today? Oh, I'm really afraid, Tom. My mom has been a longtime Democrat all her life, 
and now my dad is in a home because he has dementia, so she is alone sitting watching TV, and now she's on YouTube watching all these Republican TV, and now she's totally turned the other way. She is to the point where she is scared for her grandchildren. She wants the Muslims out of our country. She's afraid. And anything I say or try to say for Democrats, it's just like, it's rampage. I mean, it's just, where I am, I'm really, really scared. Do you have any stewardship over her? Um, no, not yet. My dad, we're just trying to get my dad taken care of because right. he was put in. And I recommend to anybody out there, please, if you know somebody that is older or whatever, get power of attorney because okay. it's a nightmare. Well, what I, I was wondering, it. I you know, Louise and I have uh, uh, a TV service, you know, coming into our house that we watch television on. And we specifically asked them not to include Fox News in our package. So you can't watch Fox News in my home right now. I mean, occasionally I, I check in on the Internet to see what's going on. But Jen Senko did this movie called The Brainwashing of My Father or My Dad. I'm one or the other. And I think you can watch it on Netflix right now. It's, it's floating around out there. Okay. And basically, her father went through the exact same thing you're describing with your mother. And mm -hmm. what they did was they contacted, as I recall, they, they contacted the cable company and said, take Fox off our cable. And then when dad started complaining about he couldn't find Fox, they were like, well, the, you know, it's broken. The cable box is broken. It just doesn't, you know, it doesn't carry all the channels it used to, but give it a few weeks and maybe it'll get better. And, and so he started watching, you know, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, CB, you know, real news, real media. And, and it broke the spell. Hers is YouTube. She gets on YouTube and through her TV, and I'm trying to get her to go to a different TV selection, so hopefully they won't have YouTube. And then she'll say, oh, I'm not going to do this anymore. And then three days later, she'll bring up the subject that we thought was done, and right. she'll start fighting it again. And it's like, this is not my mother. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a real tragedy. They, I mean, you know, Rupert Murdoch, first in Australia, as Kevin Rudd, the former prime minister, he said Rupert Murdoch is the cancer at the heart of Australian democracy. First in Australia, then he moved to the UK and he did it to the UK, which brought us Maggie Thatcher and everything else. And then he came here to the United States and has poisoned our airwaves and poisoned our political dialogue. And the stuff that he's putting out, I mean, things like what Tucker Carlson said last night, this is pure racist poison. And, and if you call them that, if you say that's what they are, oh, my gosh, you thought, oh, no way, no way, they're not that. I mean, yeah. my mom will say, well, I'm a nationalist. And then we give her the definition of a nationalist, and she's like, oh, no, I'm patriotic. Right. But, the, but what they say is not what they're, you know what but I mean? They've, but they've constructed this very elaborate, essentially, media universe that yes. is self-reinforcing and that seems so credible. They, they use very, very good production values oh. and they use all this, you know, all American iconography, you know, with flags and, and, and all this kind of stuff. Oh, definitely. It's, it's, it's poisonous still. And I don't know how to deal with it with elderly people who are very vulnerable to this kind of stuff other than taking it out of their environment. Maybe it's time for her TV to break. Estelle, thank you for the call. Good luck. Tim in Beaverton, Oregon. Hey, Tim, what's up? Yeah, you know, an interesting little thing you're talking about, Tucker Carlson. A lot of people, if you look at his, basically his history, CNN and MSNBC told him to take a hike. So basically, when he got into Fox News, it's a personal vendetta. I don't even know whether he even believes that stuff, but it sells. You see what I mean? Yeah. That's basically what it's all about. And uh, I, I was going to make a comment about the Marshall Plan because I read the book sure, about it. What a, it. Remarkable, what a remarkable guy. Yeah. You know, what you have to look at, and he didn't want any credit for it, you know, if you look at his history. My dad was a disabled World War II vet, 
the middle class started after World War II. A lot of people don't understand that. G.I. Bill, he was able to go back to school. He got yep. a, he My dad, too. From the Army, got a good job, bought a home with $200 down. You see what I mean? Yep. That's what started the greatness in this country. And now we have a situation where we've got 18 to 30-year-olds who really don't care about the political system. I was in sales and marketing for 35 years. I did some teaching. I have friends who are teachers, and they're just aghast at these high school and college kids who have no perspective of history anymore. And if you don't have that, you're going to make the same mistakes we did years ago. Yeah. It's as simple as that. To paraphrase George Santayana. Yeah, they aren't voting is what's happening. If you can get them out to vote, you can forget about the these uh, uh, homophobic, racist, misogynistic, right-wing Second Amendment lunatics, which put that lunatic into office. Because you can, if you outnumber them, in theory, you know, unless they do more election fraud and voter fraud, but you have to get the young people out. I think there's an entire generation that's waking up, Tim. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hearing from boomers and millennials, basically. The, you know, the people in the middle, the people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, they're working so hard that they, they, they have a hard time paying attention to politics. But people under Absolutely. 30, people yeah. under 30 and people over 50, they're paying very careful attention, the people over 50 in particular, because they know that their retirement's on the line. The Republicans want to take down Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. And, and the people under 30, because they've been wiped out by debt, they can't get decent jobs, They you know, all these things. So, yeah, I'm with you. Tim, thank you very much for the call. We do need to be waking up everybody in sight. So people ask, you know, I, I've been advertising the X chair for years and, you know, we had one in our studio in, in Washington, D.C. It's now here and with us in Portland. And people say, is the X chair really as comfortable as you say it is? And my answer is always yes. In fact, I probably don't describe how good it feels, how great it feels. So take my advice. Get one to feel it for yourself. Thanks to X chair's 30 day, no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. You have no risk. So if you're wondering if what I say is true, try it for yourself. Once you feel the X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar supporter, DVL, you'll understand exactly why I love my X-Chair so much. Take advantage of X-Chair's new financing option and increase your productivity with the right model for you. X-Basic or X-1 through X-4, the X-Chair can fit your body and your budget. The X-Chair is on sale now for 100 bucks off. Just go to xchairtom.com now. That's xchairtom.com or call 1-844-4X-Chair. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code XWHEELS and you'll get a free set of the new X-Wheels with your chair. xchairtom.com. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We're reading today from Truth in Our Times by David E. McCraw, Deputy General Counsel of the New York Times, the number two lawyer for the New York Times. This is in chapter one titled Election Day. It opens with a tweet from Donald Trump. The failing New York Times has been wrong about me from the very beginning. Said I would lose the primaries and the general election. Fake news. November 8, 2016. At 10 p.m., I made one last circuit of the newsroom. Our CEO, Mark Thompson, stood near the political desk, looking on with his wife and a small group of others connected somehow to the Times. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan remained in doubt, but the reality was sinking in. Donald Trump was on the verge of winning the American presidency. I'd been in newsrooms on election nights before. I know how it's supposed to be. The only thing that ever mattered was the horse race, think Gore Bush, or the historic moment, think Obama-McCain. There was no investment in which candidate was winning. He or she was destined to disappoint in the long run. And the dominant emotion was a certain not-quite-cynical detachment amid the electric buzz of the vote count and projections and the anticipation of relief that the endless push of the campaign was finally over. 
Sure, you couldn't ignore the victories or the big picture moments, and the day after stories would be celebratory in their way, duly restrained but with a nod to victory itself. Not unlike the next day account of a Super Bowl game or Game 7 of the World Series. Capture the triumph for a night or relish the race too close to call. Leave the dancing and crying for others, for the believers. But this night was like no other election night. There had been an investment, not just journalistic, but spiritual. Donald Trump had campaigned not just against Hillary Clinton, but also against the New York Times and the American press, the mainstream American press. And his astonishing rise to the top of the Republican Party had been built on his near-daily attacks on facts, on the very idea that facts matter. For journalists who approach truth like a secular religion and who have seen a thousand times before how a single true story could gut the political career of a lying politician, it had been a year of faith-shaking disbelief. A line had not just been crossed, but obliterated. The shock was palpable as the numbers came in, laced for some with the fading hope for a different outcome among people who generally wanted nothing more than a story worth telling. And there was still a paper to put out, a reckoning to account for. It was too much on an already long night. I slipped away. At the elevators, I ran into Sue Craig and a guy who was obviously not from the Times. Sue had broken one of the biggest stories of the campaign. She was the one who went to her mailbox one day in September and found pages from Donald Trump's tax returns in an envelope. She introduced me to her acquaintance. He had once worked for Trump. I didn't ask why he was there. Like me, Sue had decided to get away. It's too weird here, she said. We all got on the elevator. Sue, who had written a devastating story about Trump, me, whose letter to Trump's lawyers had lit up the internet for a week in October, and one of Trump's guys. We rode in silence, a strange tableau on the strangest night of the year. Fourteen hours earlier, as I came into the building, the Times security guard had called me over. They wanted to make sure I knew about the plans for the next morning. In the quirky ways that things happened at the Times, I had become the lawyer to see for all the things that security guys encountered, from the intruder who pilfered women's shoes to the anonymous letter weaponized with razor blades. The Times was printing thousands of extra newspapers, and tables were going to be set up outside for all the people who would be showing up to buy the New York Times for posterity's sake. The headline, I later learned, was going to read, Madam President. <clears throat> We'd been caught flat-footed eight years earlier when Barack Obama had made history. By the time I arrived for work early in the morning of the 2008 election, the line was already starting to snake down the sidewalk. Soon there were hundreds of Obama supporters who thought, and why wouldn't they, that the place to buy a copy of the New York Times was surely at the New York Times. Lots of things happened at the Times building. Selling newspapers is not one of them. Employees were pressed into emergency duty to cart bundles of newspapers from the Times printing plant in Queens, and the long lines outside the building stretched on into the afternoon. But it was Obama's victory in 2012 that was on my mind this morning. I vote in a neighborhood that is predominantly black and middle class. In 2012, following a drumbeat of stories about how Republicans hoped to suppress voter turnout, I walked into my polling place at a local school eight minutes after it opened. The line already extended back to the schoolhouse door. Did y'all sleep here, a guy wanted to know as he stepped into the foyer? On uh, this morning in 2016, I had arrived before dawn. I was the only one in line at my precinct's table. That all seemed like a strangely distant memory as midnight approached. I had made my escape from the building with Sue and the Trump guy. At home, I sat alone in the glow of the TV screens as the states that mattered fell into place for the Republicans. I turned it off. Donald Trump was about to become president of the United States. The next morning, in a light drizzle on a gray November day, the newspaper sales tables were set up outside the building as planned. No one stopped. 
The vendors sat idly amid the stacks. There was no Madam President front page. Instead, the headline read, Trump triumphs. And the first two paragraphs of the lead story talked about how the vote threatened convulsions throughout the country and made an early mention of those who had watched with alarm the rise of Trump. His victory represented a certain kind of hope that change was going to come at last. Truth in Our Times by David McCraw. Tom Hartman here with you and just had a uh, heartbreaking call from a woman whose mom is, her father went into a, a rest home because he has dementia. Mom is home alone watching Fox News and has turned into a screaming, essentially racist, kind of a Tucker Carlson follower, essentially. And, you know, what can you do about it? And I, I, I don't have an easy answer or solution, uh, you know, other than watching Jen Senko's movie, The Brainwashing of My Dad. They basically had to, as I recall, it's been a couple of years since I watched the movie, but my recollection is that they called their cable company and said, turn off Fox News, and then told Dad, I think the, the box is broken. You can't have Fox. You know, We'll get this fixed the next month or so. And Dad started actually paying attention to real media and discovering that Fox was lying to him. You know, They, they got Dad back. And I'm not talking about politically. Dad had become an emotional wreck. I mean, you know, Fox, one of the techniques that they use to get people you know, to stoke outrage, right-wing outrage and, and hate for racial minorities in particular, is fear. They, they just build all kinds of fear in people. Roger in Orlando, Florida. Roger, your thoughts on all this? Uh, I want to tie in something that you said about going backwards. Yeah. And this has to do with something the late Chalmers Johnson said. I don't know if you read any of his books, but he said one time the British Empire at one point, and their empire, they were an empire and a democracy. And he said, they choose, we can't be both. So they chose to stay a democracy, and they saved their democracy. Right. And I wonder if we're such an empire that we're losing our democracy, too, in that sense. I mean, and the, I sometimes think of the Thelma and Louise movie where if, hopefully we're not going backwards into the cliff, but if we don't change things by next November, a year and a half from now, who knows? But uh, And one last thing, look out for Matt Taibbi's new book, Hate Incorporated. Right. And, uh Thanks for what you do. Carry on. Okay. Thank you, Roger. I hope we're not in the Thelma, Thelma and Louise movie. But it really strikes me that this extraordinary takeover of our media by right-wing billionaires, um, television as well as radio, and print, the takeover of our courts by right-wing billionaires through the Federalist Society, the takeover of our government, by and large, all these think tanks, even the rewriting of Wikipedia. I mean, it's amazing how Wikipedia has been rewritten in so many ways, wherever there's a topic that's, that's you know, a, a juicy right-wing topic. Just the whole thing is just breathtaking. And I think we have to, we just have to be speaking truth and pushing back as hard as we can. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. And another big piece of that, of course, is to be sure that we get progressives elected in 2020. We've got a lot of work to do here. It's the uh, Tom Hartman program and uh, let's see here, Michael in Ohio, California. Hey, Michael, thanks for listening to KPFK. What's up? I'm a gay man in my 60s and I'm from a very staunch Mormon family. And recently you've been talking about can we forgive people that have gone over to the Trump. Interested to hear what you have to say, Michael. Forgive my interrupting you. 
Well, I've really been struggling with it, Tom, in a very direct way, because the people I love the most have gone, you know, my mother, who I've formed my entire personality over, um, has gone over to support a man who grabs women's genitals, and it blows my mind that her mind has been polluted by Fox News. But uh, to get to the point that I'd like to make, Tom, I don't believe that this could happen if we had a country where more people had access to higher education. I'm someone who educated very late in life at age 45, and I remember the difference in my self-esteem that occurred when I achieved my master's degree. You know, I would like to suggest that the reason that your show is so popular and the reason that your listeners love you as much as they do is because you are educating us And you have never, ever looked down or been condescending toward those of us who are not educated. Well, as a a guy who got kicked out of high school and and college, I got kicked out of high school for publishing an underground newspaper. And and because they suspect that I was smoking pot, I got kicked out of college for being arrested in a a SDS riot, basically, among other things. It's hard to look down on people who don't have an education. Go ahead, Michael. I'm sorry I interrupted you again. What I'd like to suggest, Tom, is that this would not be happening if our population was educated more. And I think that we would be very well advised to begin to offer bachelor's level, master's level, and Ph.D. to every citizen in our country. We have the technology to do this for the first time in history, and I believe that we need to move education out of the hands of the elite I am someone who suffers under a great deal of student debt because, um, because of my educating late in life, and I was in a car accident and lost control of my loans. But I know that my education has been worth it in terms of what it has done for my personal sense of self-esteem. And I believe that if more people had access to education, they would be more thoughtful. And we- those of us who have our education, we need to not be looking down our Patricia noses at those of us, at the rest of the people who have not been as fortunate as us to achieve their higher education. Very well said, Michael. We are the only developed country in the world of the 34 OECD countries. Um, in 33 of them, there is virtually no student debt. Um, in some cases, you know, if somebody wants to go on to a, to a, a graduate level degree, maybe. But in most cases, there, there certainly is no student loan debt crisis in any of those other countries. Um, Louise and I visited uh, Costa Rica um, a couple of, couple of years ago. In fact, it was for filming. It was filming for uh, the Janine Benyus segment um, of the Ice on Fire movie, the, the new movie that, that I'm in and that uh, Leo DiCaprio uh, narrates and George produced, George DiCaprio produced. And the cab driver who picked us up at the airport and drove us out, out to the jungle, like a two-hour drive out to, out to where we went, um, was telling us along the way, you know, we were like, what do you like about living in Costa Rica? And he says, well, we have free health care and we have free college. He said, I'm a cab driver and, I've got, and two of my kids now have advanced graduate degrees. And, and, and I'm like, wow, how do you do that? You know, and he says, well, the country just decided that that was a priority. You know, they, they, they uh, don't have a military or they don't have an army. 
in Costa Rica. They do have some military services, but, you know, and uh, he said, uh, you know, we just put our money into these things. And, and the experience that my father had, you know, if you go back and look at our parents' generation, Michael, my father and, and my wife's father both went to college on the GI Bill. My dad didn't graduate because mom got pregnant with me and he dropped out and went to work in a steel mill to, you know, get her through that and all that kind of stuff. But Louise's dad graduated, got his law degree, paid for fully by the federal government and became the assistant attorney general for the state of Michigan. And what we know from that experience is that, from the GI Bill experience, is that for every one dollar that the United States of America invested in educating the roughly million um, uh, you know, young men who had come back from World War II and took advantage of the GI Bill, for every one dollar that we invested in them, over their lifetimes, they paid an additional seven dollars to the federal government in taxes because they had higher earnings than people who are not college graduates. So for every dollar invested in college education by a government, and this is what every other government in the world knows, and that you know, and Republicans don't want us to know, for every dollar invested, we make $7 back as a country. And that doesn't even begin to measure the impact of having an educated workforce. We had, because of the GI Bill, we had the most educated, one of the most educated populaces, we also weren't in ruins like Europe was, we had one of the most educated populace in the world in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, which is why we led the world in innovation, why we put a man on the moon, why we invented Velcro and transistors and integrated circuits and revolutionized the world and everything. This all came out of, directly or indirectly, the GI Bill. So, Michael, you are, you are absolutely right. And this is, again, this is, this is being on the right side of political history. We've got, you know, the Democratic Party. Now we've got this study you know, from this uh, Professor James Stimson of UNC saying that right now the American electorate is more liberal than the electorate that elected Jack Kennedy or Lyndon Johnson. And Lyndon Johnson, with that electorate, got past Medicare and Medicaid. So, anyhow. You know, Tom, I'm a psychotherapist by trade, and I believe that we're all suffering from a collective PTSD. I want to remind everyone that while we're being distracted by this clown car presidency, what we could be doing is we could be finding new and innovative ways to care for each other. And I think there are many of us out there, this border thing has just made all of us who have a conscience, it's just really pushed us to the edge. Oh, yeah. And I think the time is coming when we're just going to have to surround the system with our bodies and with our morals and stop it cold. And I really believe that education for every citizen of the United States is the answer to our economic problems and to our political problems. And if we were able to manifest this, Tom, we would never look back. And I hope that you take your leadership position and continue to do what you're doing with this show and open up education for everyone. Thank you, Michael. It's my plan to do it until I croak. We'll see if, if, if things intercede, but I appreciate that. Michael, thank you for the call. Kenneth in Seattle. Hey, Kenneth, what's up? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll try to crowd in. Regarding proposed forgiveness of family members who are in the uh, Trump camp, I think forgiveness is irrelevant because forgiveness applies when someone turns away from the errors of his way. But when they double down, that's ridiculous. Also, um, there was a, a saying I heard when I was a teenager, uh, if you educate a fool, what you get is an educated fool. I have two nieces with PhDs, and they are actually Trumpites. Now, of course, of course, wow. I, of course, I still advocate uh, high education. Yes, yes, yes. I'm a, I'm a Latter-day New Dealer. Yes, the, the, uh, all that. But it's not proof against educated fools. So, what do we do with people after Trump leaves office who are big Trump supporters? 
if they continue to be Trump supporters, because Trump is going to continue to pound his chest and, and talk to anybody who will listen. That's what he does. Or what do you do with people who actually figured out that they've been scammed by him? I guess that's probably uh, less of a question because those people, you know, it's fairly obvious you, you embrace them. You bring them back into the family, I think. Anyhow, we'll continue this conversation and much more tomorrow, same time, same place. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It isn't something we just sit around and watch on TV. It only works. Democracy literally only works in a Republican government, in a republic, if you get involved. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home, yes, cool, or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.